So is, is there anyone here who enjoys pain? Like anyone who seeks after it and just enjoys the agonizing discomfort of pain. Any, anyone? Any, any masochists out there? Um, no, I didn't expect there would be too many of us who would raise our hand. Did you know that studies have shown over and over and over again that physiologically our bodies will do everything they can to avoid pain. In fact, they will automatically recoil from pain the instant that it experiences it. Think hand-touching hot stove, right? Immediately you pull back. That is a physiological, neurological response. Conversely, our bodies will automatically move towards and pursue the things that we deem pleasurable, right? So think about that tasty food that you enjoy, that your body just craves, or whatever other pleasure you can imagine. Our bodies are wired to naturally go towards those pleasures. And the reason for this response is because of our survival instinct. We have been wired to avoid pain at all costs and pursue pleasure as one of our chief pursuits. That's in our nature. That's a physiological reality of our flesh. But how many of you know that not all pain should be avoided? In fact, there are some pains that are actually good and necessary for our growth. And today we're going to be talking about one of those pains, hunger pain, and how through the spiritual discipline of fasting, where we endure hunger pains for a spiritual purpose, we can draw closer to our God and walk more faithfully with Him. Now we've been going through our Lord's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been learning how to become better followers of Jesus, better disciples of our Master Rabbi. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And in chapter 6, he has been giving us instruction as to how to live righteously. He's been giving us commands as to how to live righteously and pointing out the self-righteous religiosity of the Pharisees. And he's been contrasting those two things. And his summary verse is Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, where he says... Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will receive no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he goes through three examples. We've seen the first two already. Three examples of what self-righteous religiosity looks like. The first example is with giving. And Jesus shows how self righteousness in our spiritual actions towards others can actually hinder our walk with God. And then secondly, he uses the example of praying, and he shows how self-righteousness in our spiritual actions towards God can actually inhibit our ability to follow God. And now finally, he turns to the example of fasting, and he shows how our self-righteousness in our spiritual actions within ourselves can be a block towards our pursuit of Jesus. So he gives one example that is outward-facing, 
One example that is upward facing, and now he gives the example that is inward facing. Very deliberate with the things that he's choosing here. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18 as Jesus teaches a little bit about fasting. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you and praise you for who you are. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the one who has endured all pains for our sake. Father, we ask that you would show us now how to draw more closely to you through spiritual disciplines, especially fasting. Father, I, I yield myself to you. I pray, Lord, that my words would be yours, Lord. My thoughts would be your thoughts, that nothing would come out of my mouth that you don't want spoken. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us would yield our hearts to you and our minds to you as well, that you would have free reign to transform us and to make us into more perfect disciples. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now we're going to look at this section of Scripture in three parts. Part number one, we're going to look at the facade of fasting. Part number two, we're going to look at the facts of fasting. And then part number three, we're going to look at what faith-filled fasting entails. Decided to go with the F alliteration because, you know, fasting starts with F. So, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16, the facade of fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, of course, we need to understand some of the cultural context around fasting to get what Jesus is speaking into. See, in Judaism, God commanded one fast that every Jew had to make every year. And there were other feast days where they would fast sometimes. But there is one day where you, if you are a Jew, must fast, and that is the Day of Atonement. And on that day, you acknowledge your sin, you cry out for mercy, and you praise God for forgiveness as he atones for your sins, basically, through the, the sacrifice, right? So the Jews all did this. But the super-religious Jews, the Pharisees, they not only fasted on the Day of Atonement, but by the time of Jesus... They fasted at least two days a week. And we can see this in Luke chapter 18, verse 12, where a Pharisee talks about, I'm a faster twice a week when he's praying to God. Well, why did they do this? They typically fasted on the second and fifth day of the week. That is what they did. And the reason why they did that is because Tradition held that Moses went up to Mount Sinai on the second and fifth days of the week. He went up two times, remember? Went up, came down, smashed the tablets, go up a second time, new tablets, come back down. Second, fifth days of the week. So they were trying to model their fasting after Moses. 
Of course, one who is aware of the self-righteousness in their hearts might also observe that the second and fifth days of the week were the days when everyone went to the market. They were the market days for the Jews, and they would all go out and do their shopping. It was a very, very public day, basically the day when you'd see everyone in town. And so what the Pharisees would do is they would put on tattered clothes, and they would dishevel their hair, and they'd put ashes in their hair, and they'd walk around with pained expressions. Oh, oh. Oh. <laughs> right? So that everyone would see and know that they were fasting today. See, fasting and pretty much any other spiritual discipline that the Pharisees undertook and that we can undertake if it's for the wrong motives was just a facade. It was not at all for the glory of God or drawing closer to God. It was all for their own glory. All for getting other people to see them and think, wow, that, that lady is super religious. That guy, he must really love Yahweh. Right? And Jesus calls it out. He calls it out, and he says, look, there is going to be zero, zippo, nada, zilch, right? Nothing for their fasting. No reward whatsoever. And this is the same message that he's been giving over and over throughout this section of Scripture. Self-righteousness, in order to be seen by others, well, they see you. That's your reward. Congratulations. I hope you're happy with that. So that's the facade of fasting. And if anything that we do ever takes on that self-important, self-righteous flavor, well, then we're just being Pharisees. And so the first thing that we need to continually do is check our hearts and ask, why do we do what we do before God? Why am I doing this? What am I trying to get out of this? Am I trying to get something out of it? Hmm. Or am I simply trying to give more of myself to God? This is what Jesus is driving at here. So that's the facade of fasting, but he continues on, and we're going to look at some of the facts of fasting. He says in verses 17 and 18, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Just as with giving and with praying, Jesus says twice in this section, when you fast. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus has an expectation for his disciples, which if you've submitted to Jesus Christ, that would include you. He has an expectation that his disciples will fast. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, when the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus, they asked him, hey, hey Jesus, hey Rabbi, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus explained to them, he said, 
they don't fast because I'm here with them. I'm paraphrasing. You can go and read the verses yourself. I'm here with them. But when I leave, then they will fast. Matthew 9, 14 and 15. So Jesus absolutely had an expectation that his disciples, his followers, his little brothers and sisters would undertake the spiritual discipline of fasting. And he says that when we fast, we shouldn't do it like the Pharisees do it. Don't make a show of it. Nothing special about it. In fact, go about your day just like any other. Normal hygiene, which for me means just putting on a hat, going about your day, right? Nothing special about it. Now, if you're like me, you're probably saying to yourself, okay, that's, that's interesting, like, okay, I, I should fast, okay, good. How do I do that? What, how, why do I do that? What, is, what does that look like? Is there something special to it? Do I just not eat? Do I, what, what is that? Well, that would be a very, very normal question because, sadly, the reality is that most of us who come from a kind of Protestant evangelical background don't really think about fasting or the spiritual disciplines too often. And that's, in my opinion, to our detriment. I think we're missing out. Jesus certainly thinks we're missing out. And so it's my prayer today that as we study this a little bit, perhaps the Holy Spirit, and it's got to be through the Holy Spirit, not just some, you know, because some guy who's got a mic says it. Because the Holy Spirit is impressing upon you, hey, listen up, this might be something that's good for you. So we're going to talk about some basic facts of fasting that I hope will help inform us so that by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can enter in to the spiritual discipline of fasting. So what is fasting? Well, in the Greek, to fast, it's pretty straightforward. It literally means to abstain from food. Don't eat food. In the Hebrew, the word literally means to cover your mouth. So fasting refers to abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. And in Scripture, fasting in 99 out of 100 times is coupled with prayer. Fasting is almost always accompanied by prayer. You can have prayer without fasting, but you almost never, ever have fasting without prayer. Now, you, have made, you may have heard people say, I'm going to fast from Netflix. I'm going to fast from my phone. I'm going to fast from social media. I'm going to fast from whatever it is. Well, in the strictest biblical sense, that's not fasting. Fasting always, always in Scripture has to deal with food and drink, something going into your body physically. Those other things, by the way, Taking a break from that stuff isn't a bad thing. It's probably a good idea sometimes, but that would be more along the spiritual disciplines of simplicity or solitude. Other spiritual disciplines that we can study in Scripture that are beyond the scope of our teaching today, 
but I would encourage you to check those out as well. So fasting from food with prayer is a very good thing, but it has to be done for a spiritual reason. If I'm just trying to detox or just get refined sugar out of my diet or no more gluten, that's not really fasting biblically. That's for a health reason, and there are health reasons for fasting. Biblical fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. And we're going to talk about what some of those purposes are in a second. Now, in Scripture, it's important that we recognize that people fasted corporately just as often as they did individually. So why is that significant? That's significant because Jesus is not saying here in this passage, no one can ever know when you're fasting. If you fast and someone finds out, it's over, done, no good, you've ruined it. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is driving to the the heart of self-righteousness. You can still have a righteous motive and pursuit of fasting with other people aware of it. You just shouldn't parade yourself around saying, I'm fasting today. (laughs) Ha, 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 look at me, right? In fact, we should regularly, as the Spirit leads us, fast with others. It's a very healthy thing to do. There's power in the corporate discipline of fasting. So when we fast, what does that look like? Well, there are three types of fasts found in scriptures. Type number one, we have partial fasts. And this is also known as the Daniel fast. This is when you abstain from a specific type of food, and it's often called the Daniel fast because of what Daniel did. Remember, he fasted from all foods but fruit and vegetables. And he did that to show the power of his God over and against the power of the Babylonian gods, right? He also did other fasts, but that was the partial Daniel fast. There are other examples. Elijah did this when God only fed him meat from the ravens and gave him water from the brook. That was a partial fast. John the Baptist, locusts and honey, partial fast. We don't really think of those things in those terms, but those are all fasts. It's important that we see that. But secondly, we have the normal fast, and it's called the normal fast because it was the normal fast that they did. (laughs) And this was simply not eating any food. No food whatsoever, only water. Not water and coffee. Not water and just a little bit of orange juice to get me through the day. No food, only water. This was a normal fast, and this was the fast that we see all through Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament over and over again. This was the fast that was undertaken. But then finally, we have the absolute fast. And this fast is the real deal. This is like legit city. No food, no drink of any kind. Your body can only handle this for at most about three days. 
unless you are supernaturally sustained by the power of God. And that's exactly what happened with Moses. Each of the two times he went up to Mount Sinai, he did an absolute fast for 40 days. Whew, it's pretty sick. And I mean that in a good way. It's good sick, like awesome sick. Um, but you also see Paul doing this. You also see Ezra, Esther, Mordecai. There are multiple people who did absolute fasts, though they all did it for a shorter time. And this was usually reserved for a very dire situation, like, whoa boy, I'm blind and I saw Jesus. Absolute fast. Right? Very, very dire situations. And every one of these fasts is always undertaken through the leading of the Spirit. Because the heart of a fast needs to be moved by God. Otherwise, we run the danger of just fasting for the sake of fasting. And that is not something we should ever do. Fasting should never, ever be the end in itself. And this is a very important point. I would write this down in your Bibles or in the notes. Fasting is always a means to a spiritual end. It is never the end in and of itself. It's always the means to the spiritual end. And so the Lord is going to put on our hearts fast and pray. And then it's up to us to obediently respond to that or not. And sometimes he'll give us a reason, very clearly defined. Sometimes he won't give us a reason, and you just feel like you need to fast. Well, by golly, fast. And that reason, I guarantee you, will make itself evident eventually. But sometimes he gives you a very clear reason. And I want to just share with you several of the reasons from Scripture. They're going to be on the screen. You can write them down. I'm just going to basically read through them very fast. There's the references for every one of them. I'm not making this stuff up. (laughs) Scripture is full of fasting. The first reason that we see is just for purposes of personal sanctity and deeper levels of humility. You want to grow in humility before God? Fast. That'll teach you real quick. Sometimes it's as part of our repentance before the Lord when we are just truly crying out for forgiveness and mercy. Sometimes it's for mourning and grieving when our heart is just torn. And one of the healthiest ways to express that is through fasting. Sometimes it's when we are seeking protection, perhaps for a bike tour, or some other very serious supplication that's going on. As we said, sometimes there is just a dire situation like we are going to die, everybody fast. Sometimes it's for direction and guidance. Lord, I don't know which way to go here. Or for consecration, being set apart for a specific purpose. The Lord is preparing you to send you out. Sometimes it's for intercession on someone else's behalf. Lord, I know this is going on with my sister, and I, I want to fast, Lord. I feel like you're calling me to fast for her sake, for his sake. 
for their sake. Sometimes it's for bondage breaking and deliverance. The Lord prepares you for that spiritual warfare. All of these things are found in Scripture, all connected with fasting and other reasons. These are the main ones. But the heart and motivation behind all of these reasons is always the same. We fast because ultimately we seek to draw closer to our God and to see His will done in our lives. That is the heart of the faster. This really is the essence of the faith-filled fast, which is our final section, and we're going to unpack this now. We're going to look at the faith-filled fast, and, and I gave us a little acronym for this one. Anyone want to guess what the acronym is? It's not FFFF. It's It's fast. it's fast so Jesus finishes Matthew 618b and your father who sees in secret will reward you now this isn't Jesus isn't talking about you know when we fast that's the genie rubbing you know rubbing the genie's lamp and whoop we get our what we wanted yay no he's talking about spiritual rewards right he's talking about things like Seeing God's hand move in amazing ways. Is that not, like, I'll speak for myself. I am so encouraged when I see the Lord move. I don't care if it's in my life or someone else's life. I'm just like, praise God. Anyone who says there is no God is missing out. Is missing out on our awesome God. Do you see what he just did? You see what he just right there just did that. Praise God. Sometimes it's just about getting more intimate with our God, right? And just being in His presence. Sometimes it's about being filled with the Holy Spirit more fully and completely. Or being emptied of our pride and selfishness. All of these things are the types of things that are the rewards that we receive when we fast. Well, why is that? Why are these the rewards? Well, let's take a little bit of a deeper dive and start to develop a theology of fasting. My wife told me that I should have put this section uh, second and then the practical section last, but that's not the way Jesus did it, so Jesus wins. (laughs) So here's some, some theology. And in order to develop a theology of fasting, we have to start in the Garden of Eden. Who remembers what the very first prohibition that God gave to man was? That's right. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God commanded Adam and Eve to fast. Did you ever look at it that way before? That's exactly what he did. He commanded them to fast. Why did he do that? Was it because the fruit was bad? No, the fruit was fine. He commanded them to fast because in fasting from that one thing, they showed that they were not going to allow the appetites of their flesh 
to be enticed by the pleasures of this world. In fasting, they showed their submission to and dependence upon our God. Developing a theology of fasting here, right? Let's fast forward a couple thousand years. Jesus has just, Jesus, well, yeah, but Moses has just delivered the people out of Egypt. They've received the Ten Commandments. They've even gone up to the threshold of the promised land. But their faith falters, and they now wander in the desert for 40 years. And they're like, what are we going to eat? And what does God do? He provides for them every single day, doesn't he? He gives them manna and quail eggs, but nothing else. Well, gee, that's interesting. Another fast. Again, you ever see it that way before? That was a partial fast. And it's again for the same purpose. God is teaching his people to depend on him alone and to quench their appetites for the things of this world that will draw their hearts away from him. It's about submitting to and trusting in the one alone who can provide. Let's fast forward a couple thousand years more. This guy just got baptized. It's pretty cool. Skies opened up. Would have been sweet to see. And the Spirit of God leads him out into the desert to fast for 40 days. You guys know who this is, right? This is Jesus. Huh, Jesus fasted? Yes, he did. Regularly. And when he was out in the wilderness, what happened? He was tempted. Just the same way Adam and Eve were when they were fasting. Just the same way the Israelites were tempted when they were fasting all through the wilderness. And how was Jesus tempted? Here, have some bread. You can turn these rocks into bread. Went right after his appetite. You know what? You can do this on your own. Went after depending on God. Hey, you know what? Why don't you just worship me? Who is he going to submit to? Who is he going to trust in? You see what fasting is doing here? Now, praise God that Jesus overcame those temptations. Amen? Amen? He endured the pain of hunger, the pain of temptation, and resisted the enemy. And that was just a precursor for enduring the pain of the cross. He did what none of us could ever do so that by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we can now do what he did. See, the faith-filled fast begins in the Garden of Eden, but it ends with the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and second coming of our Lord Jesus. We have to keep that in view to have a proper theology of fasting because faith-filled fasting means, here's your F, staying focused on Jesus. Each one of these three things, every instance of fasting in Scripture, ultimately points us forward to Jesus Christ. 
That's the theology of fasting, that we are, we are depending on God and trusting and submitting in Him and pushing aside our fleshly appetites just as Christ did for us. And we do that because Christ did it for us. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that helps us to endure a little bit of pain for the purpose of seeing Jesus more clearly, trusting in him more fully, and submitting to him more deeply. That's what fasting does. But secondly, the A, we've gone over this already, faith-filled fasting means abstaining from food. Remember how we talked in the beginning about some of pains that are actually good for us, right? Well, abstaining from food for spiritual purpose is one of those healthy pains as it strengthens us and prepares us to endure tests and trials that will be far more painful than fasting. You ever think of fasting that way? It's, it's spiritual training for the more difficult things to come. Reminds me of a very famous story of a butterfly, and some of you might have heard this before. You all know butterflies, right? Those pretty little whimsical floaty things that my daughter likes, right? But they don't start as butterflies. They start as caterpillars. And then they go into their little cocoon chrysalis thing, and they go through their metamorphosis process, and, and then they emerge as beautiful butterflies, right? Well, there was this very famous botanist who was studying this plant, and on this plant he found a cocoon, a little chrysalis. And it started moving and wiggling and jiggling, and he was like, ooh, this is neat. I'm going to watch this butterfly emerge from the cocoon. So he watched it, and it's struggling, and pretty soon it, it breaks the cocoon, and there's an opening. He's like, yay, butterfly, go. But then the butterfly stopped. And he said, oh no, the butterfly can't get out of the cocoon. So he decided to help the butterfly. So he took his little scalpel and he just cut a little incision on the cocoon, just enough so that the butterfly, when he started moving again, oh, simple, done, out of the cocoon immediately. Wow, great, yay, butterfly's out, right? No, wrong. Because as soon as the butterfly actually spread its wings to start to fly, it did not have the strength to fly. Well, the botanist was perplexed by this. But he was a botanist. He didn't know anything about butterflies. So he went to one of his friends. His friend was a lepidopterist, which I just learned that fancy word this week. <laughs> it's like viticulture. Lepidopterist, viticulture right? Someone who studies butterflies and moths. And so this lepidopterist said, you dope, you have just doomed that butterfly to death. The only way a butterfly can develop the strength to fly is through the struggle of emerging from the cocoon. And this is exactly what fasting and the other spiritual disciplines helps us to do. In my opinion, this is one of the reasons why the church in the West, collectively, is so weak. Because we have neglected spiritual disciplines that will strengthen us by the grace and power of God. 
As we stay focused on Jesus and abstain from food, the pain, the hunger that we will endure will develop a spiritual strength within us that will help to prepare us to soar to new spiritual heights. So that when those winds come along, those storms come along, we will be able to endure the pain because we have been training for it through the power of God. Not our own strength, through the power of God sustaining us. So faith-filled fasting is focused on Jesus as we abstain from food, but thirdly, the S, it also entails surrendering our sin. Throughout Scripture, including in our passage here today, God warns His people over and over again of empty, self-righteous fasts. And just read Isaiah 59. Or Zechariah chapter 7, I'd write those two down, we're not going to go over them, Isaiah 59, Zechariah 7, and you'll see the Lord crying out against worthless fasting. And the reason why those fasts are worthless is because the lives of the people who are fasting are filled with unrepentant sin. There is no love for God or love for others, they are just going through their religious motions. In Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 12, God says, Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Whoo! One of the early church fathers, St. John Chrysostom, he put it this way, Fasting is a medicine. But like all medicines, though it be very profitable to the person who knows how to use it, it frequently becomes useless and even harmful in the hands of the one who is unskillful in its use. For the honor of fasting consists not in abstinence from food, but in withdrawing from sinful practices. Since he who limits his fasting... lost my place. Only to abstinence from meats is one who especially disparages fasting. Do you fast? Give me proof of it by your works. If you see a poor man, take pity on him. If you see an enemy, be reconciled with him. If you see a friend gaining honor, do not be jealous of him. And let not only the mouth fast, but also the eye and the ear and the feet and the hands and all members of your bodies. Now, he's talking about surrendering sin. Still fasting through abstaining from food, not to be confused with what we were talking about before, right? Fasting from Netflix, nope, no. <laughs> Surrendering the sins that are in our lives. Fasting is a beautiful expression of our devotion and worship of our God, but it will be rejected. If we're deciding to fast while we have some other sin that we're just completely ignoring or deciding not to address. I'm going to fast today, and then I'm going to go and watch porn later. I'm going to fast today, and then go with my girlfriends and just gossip about the new neighbor. Did you see her? Pick your sin. Right? One of the beautiful, beautiful things that fasting does, at least in my experience, it's beautiful in hindsight. When you're experiencing it, it stinks. 
But when you're fasting, the Lord will show you that stuff. And he'll be like, Matthew, this. Ugh, now I'm even more hungry, right? And then we have a choice. What are we going to do there in that moment? Are we going to actually surrender that by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are we just going to continue to walk in our little self-righteous religiosity? C.S. Lewis wrote, Fasting asserts the will against the appetite, the reward being self-mastery and the danger, pride. Ascetic practices which in themselves strengthen the will are only useful insofar as they enable the will to put its own house in order, here's the key, as preparation for offering the whole man to God. So as we focus on Christ and abstain from food in preparation for the trials ahead, we've got to surrender any sinful thing that the Lord shows us so that we can offer more and more of ourselves exclusively to our God and to no other. And as we do these three things by the grace of God, we will learn to do the final thing, the S, the T. It's the T. <laughs> Hooked on phonics. Did not. Wait, it's not even phonics, it's spelling. <laughs> okay, the T. Focus, Matthew, focus. And that is taming the appetites of our flesh and turning away the pleasures of the world. The problem for us begins the instant we are born. Because the instant we are born, we are conditioned to cry out to have my need met. Immediately, instantly, I want it now. Give it to me. We live in an instant gratification world. And fasting battles against that. We fast because fasting says, I'm not going to live for my appetites. I will not give in to the constant pull of my stomach. Paul wrote about this in Philippians chapter 3. When he said, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Here you go. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with eyes set on earthly things, with minds set on earthly things. When we fast, we battle the relentless pull of our appetite, of that, of that instant gratification nature. When we fast, the body grows weak, and that's a good thing. Because it reminds us that we cannot live according to our passions and our appetites, nor can we live by our strength or our plans or our own provision. When we fast, we declare, Lord, you are my strength, you are my joy, you are my comfort, you are my sustenance, you are everything to me. One author wrote, you need to experience how weak and fragile you are so that you know how strong and faithful God is. Fasting brings you to weakness and God always meets you 
in that weakness. What does Paul say? When I am weak, then I am strong. God's power is made perfect in my weakness. And that's what fasting does. It it, it shows that. Fasting is about declaring that we will neither be ruled by our appetites nor by the pleasures of this world. And that we're willing to be brought to weakness to learn that lesson. Now, not all the pleasures of this world are bad, by the way. A lot of it's God created and he wants us to enjoy it, but not to be ruled by it. Not to have our bellies control us. John Piper wrote, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but mindless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. That's just so Piper. The greatest adversary of love of God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are for the simple pleasures of the earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. But it isn't incurable. Praise God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will help us overcome it. And one of the primary ways he does that is through the spiritual discipline of fasting. Fasting inflames our spiritual hunger for God and helps us to lose the taste for the cheap, fleeting, unsatisfying pleasures of the world. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, fasting squeezes out the desires in our flesh, the desire to be instantly gratified, that fight against God's will in our lives, and it aligns our hearts and our will with God's heart and His will for us. That is what faith-filled fasting does. When we are focused on Christ, abstaining from food, surrendering our sin, and taming our appetites and turning away the pleasures of this world, all for the sake of being more like Jesus. And this brings me back to our physiology lesson at the beginning of the sermon. So it's a physiological reality that we are wired to avoid pain and pursue pleasure. But it's also a physiological fact that we, our bodies, are able to endure far more pain than we think we're able to. Did you know that when you exercise, the most important part of the exercise is the last few seconds of the exercise? When you're running and your lungs are burning and your brain is telling you it's time to stop, that is the most important part of your run. And that is the time when you can actually get better at running. And when you're lifting weights and you're repping it out, watching yourself in the mirror, you sick people. (laughs) It's just what I do. (laughs) It's when your muscles are rebelling and screaming at you. It's in that moment that you have got to push through for just three more. 
because that's when you get stronger. In those moments, our brains are going to be lying to us, saying, it hurts too much, stop. Guess what? That is a lie because your body can take it. Your body can take it because, here's another physiological, neurological fact for you. This is proven in studies. You can go see it for yourself in, I don't know, some neurological magazine somewhere. Just take my word for it, all right? When you push through those points of pain, your brain literally rewires itself. It literally creates new neurological connections that create new pathways and new definitions of how your body feels pain. And so that the next time you get to that point of breaking, you don't break because your brain has literally rewired itself because it learned that it can go farther than that. And you'll be able to push just a little bit farther, just a little bit longer, just a little bit harder. And that is the exact same way that it works spiritually with fasting. When we undertake faith-filled fasts, the Holy Spirit will recreate new spiritual pathways within us. He will rewire us so that we can draw closer to God and push more of the world away from us. We'll be able to walk in new places soar to new heights, overcome more trials because of the Holy Spirit working in us through the spiritual discipline of fasting. By the grace of God, let us not be a people who neglect the gift of fasting. I would encourage you, keep your minds and hearts open to the Holy Spirit leading you into a fast. Listen for it, because he will do it. And if you want to study more of this, I would encourage you, there's a great book, classic book, it's called God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Willis. It was the first book on fasting written in a hundred years. He recognized that there hadn't been a book written on fasting since like 1850 to like 1960. So he wrote it. And it is totally scripture-centered all the way through. Read it if you want to learn more. But let's not be self-righteous in our fasting, like the Pharisees. Let's ask the Lord to fill us with his spirit so that we can stay focused on Jesus, abstaining from food for the purpose of preparing for future pain and trial, surrendering whatever sin the Lord shows us, taming our appetites, and turning away the pleasures of this world so that we can develop a deeper hunger for our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.